Good morning, listeners. This is Jim the Keys, bartender. How are you? How was your weekend? We are rolling towards July 4th here in the Keys. As ever, I guess we're rolling to July 4th and every place. July 4th is just a date, but here in the United States, it's uh, a very patriotic day, an Independence Day, pretty much. So I had a discussion with someone recently saying that, you know, maybe Juneteenth, we should maybe uh, do Independence Day on Juneteenth and just celebrate July 4th. Some people may get angry hearing me say that. But in actually, if you think about it, just conceptually think about it, if you're able to open and have this discussion... I know this is a Keys bartender. It's part of the thing as a Keys bartender. We discuss issues at the bar, when, especially when it's like slow and we'll have these discussions with a group where people get angry that holidays change. Well, there's always holidays change. There were holidays during Roman times. There were holidays during medieval times. There were holidays in Elizabethan England that they don't celebrate anymore. Just one of those things. And new holidays come about before. Before July 4th, 1776, there was no July 4th holiday. It's not something that existed for always. Same thing goes for Memorial Day, Labor Day, and things like that. So uh, holidays are kind of amorphous and changing and growing. So my suggestion is change it to Freedom Day and have one of them... You have Juneteenth is important, but combine it, make it a big holiday. It's a great time to do it, if you think about it. It's over, uh, well, it's about three weeks after Memorial Day. And uh, we can use it, we put it closer to that one because we can celebrate as the pinnacle of independence, the freeing of slaves. Because it's kind of like putting the cart before the horse when you talk about Independence Day. You talk about freedom and all this stuff. Well, July 4th was our political separation or intention to politically separate from the authority of Great Britain, the constitutional monarchy, and set up our own government. But at the same time, there was a large segment of people that eventually became American citizens who were slaves. So we can celebrate all those things. There's no restriction in celebrating and saying, listen, this is what July 4th may have been muddied by the presence of slavery. But there's no reason why we can't reestablish that celebration saying, okay, yeah, we had that independence. And, and then later on in 1865... We had full independence. Well, it's not, you know, there's some arguments there, too, because there was until 1919, you had full suffrage for men and women. And there was a lot of, you know, Jim Crow Crow laws and stuff that restricted people from voting and things like that. So I know it's controversial to say it. You're not getting rid of a holiday. You're just combining them. It's like President's Day, right? Right. 
You got Lincoln, you got Washington, you got Washington's birthday, you got Lincoln's birthday, you got Jefferson's birthday. And you say, well, we'll just celebrate it on President's Day. And why should we say, there's only really one. I mean, in, in Christian nations, they celebrate a birthday, let's say, of Jesus. And that's Christmas. And that's, you know, I'm not asking you to get good. And, well, actually, Jesus wasn't born in December 25th. It's a, he was already born at that time. I think. Who knows? And they arbitrarily picked, a, you know, that right around the winter solstice anyway. But they're celebrating the birth. They're just, arbit- you know, I mean, taking that date doesn't mean it was born on that date. But then again, if you think about it, the calendar, the Gregorian calendar didn't come about for hundreds and hundreds of years later. So they used Roman calendars then. And same thing with Easter. Easter just shows that they pick a Sunday. They pick a Sunday that he rose. He may not have rose on Sunday. He could have rose on Saturday, right? Because when he... I know it's kind of controversial, Jim. You get involved with religion. I say, well, you know, it's holidays are holidays. It's the core belief behind it is more. I'm not telling you to change your core belief system between those holidays or because of those holidays. I'm talking about how we celebrate. Just like Thanksgiving, there's one controversial because Thanksgiving wasn't really a big. Was it National Day of Thanksgiving? Didn't come out until presidential decree and then it was set I think maybe by Roosevelt to be the third or fourth Saturday fourth Saturday uh, fourth fourth Thursday in the month of November where you just give thanks well actually really that's a really good holiday that's a really good holiday people really stick to those holidays don't they they stick to it, kind of like the nature of the holiday. It's kind of like a harvest festival. You're celebrating family, familial relations, and getting together and things like that. July 4th is more nebulous. You're, we're celebrating American culture, American freedom, and things like that, even though we're at a times, arguably, that some of the freedoms are being restricted, evidenced by... Some of the things that the Supreme Court, and I'm not going to get involved in politics. I'm just talking about holidays. And we'll probably be talking more about politics on the next show, Conch, Conch uh, Chatter. And I'll try to make that more pertinent to people on the keys. I know we're going to be at top of the keys, and there's going to be people on Key West. They're going to say, listen, you don't address our concerns. And I said, well, we're going to be, I think I'm going to try to figure it out because I'm, it's going to be more of a long, uh, a new show with stories behind it, key stories, and some news and concerns for the people who live in the Florida Keys, since they really don't have one here, do we? Do we really have a show for the people in the Florida Keys? I mean, I'm the Keys bartender show. I mean, there's other podcasts. I'm sure there are. Maybe not as long, maybe not as many episodes, maybe not with this such sad, sad, technically glitchy shows. 
How long has this asshole been doing it? Five years. Yes, five years. It's going. It's over five years. It'll be. I'm going into my. I'm in my sixth year. Sixth year of doing a show, and then we're going to have. I think in the next. I think this week. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to do an episode. I'm going to try to do. Maybe I can do an episode tomorrow. Who knows? If I can figure out how to do this stuff. Because with the Keys bartender stuff, I try to make it from the perspective of the Keys bartender, but also as a perspective of a person that lives here in the Keys. A perspective of a person that's been down here 15 years, that lived other places. I mean, obviously you have people that live here their whole lives. And their perspective is what, you know, when you, depending on when they lived here. If they lived here like 70 years, like my good friend Howard, I won't say his last name, but he's a regular at the catch. Grew up here. He happens to be an African-American. And he remembers a time here in the Keys when segregate, it was actively, there was active segregation going on. So he has a different, a much different perspective on how things change. Not only the perspective of someone that saw the explosion of the population down here, which is in a lot of different places. The United States, if you think about 70 years ago, it was 1952. What was there, 160 million people, 150 million people in the United States. Now there's over 330 million. And in the Keys... I mean, mainly it was it was predominantly Key West. It's always been Key West. The the Keys have always been weighted heavily for Key West because of its location, its economic power, because it was seen as the gateway to the Caribbean and Central and South America. For some years, it was the capital of Florida. It was the largest city in Florida for years, years, and mainly supplied until. The Flagler Railroad was built mainly supplied by sea. Until the Flagler Railroad, we weren't we weren't connected. There weren't forty three bridges that continuously connected the keys. So, going from Key West to Key Largo was a maritime tra- uh, journey. What it was either railroad, uh, it was either ship, it was a ship, obviously. And when they built it, there was no aircraft at the time when they built the railroad. It was just, it was, they were just testing aircraft or inventing air travel at that time. And without the bridges and things like that, that the only way would be come, coming by water. Either you could go by, you know, regular boat, ocean going vessels. And then Tampa developed, as Florida developed, we got Tampa to de- developed mainly because uh, it was the second, I guess the second biggest city. I'm just guessing right here because until 1898 in the Spanish-American War, Tampa was kind of like the jumping off point for American troops going into the Spanish possessions in the Caribbean, mainly Cuba. And Miami came about mainly because of the Flagler Railroad. It was just a small burg until they decided to construct the Flagler Railroad. 
the East Coast that came down and went all the way down to Key West. And that must have been a sight to see. And I guess it was. I mean, there probably could be a couple of people that are around today that uh, lived when the railroad was still in there. I think it was in the 30s when they were, uh, it was still in place, maybe. And that must have been a sight to see, to go be able to go all the way down from wherever the railroad started, up near Boston, Maine, taking that railroad all the way down. You know, I guess you had to change it. I mean, there, there wasn't like a an express train to Key West from New York. But from Miami, you could hop on a train up until the 20s or 30s. I'd like to find out, and there's something I have to do a little investigation for further in the future how that transition occurred because at some time I'm sure when railroads were were still in place as the main form of transportation but the automobile started being introduced then roadways had to be built right and they had to retask the railroad into making it a highway because more people had access to vehicles Right, but there was a tipping point. There was a tipping point where they said, "Well, most people travel long distances before the advent of air travel by railway, and prior to that, was stagecoach or horseback or walking." Yeah, so there was a tipping point when they said, "Well, these cards are unique." People, uh, I guess. When automobiles were first invented, and I don't need to know this because I don't need to research this because that's just common sense, right? Automobiles aren't introduced and built in the early 1900s, late 1800s. You know, you had to steam. They didn't even know if it was going to be electric, steam-powered, or internal combustion engine when automobiles came about, right? There were actually steam-powered automobiles, because people thought, well, that's the perfect way to build it. Just like it's like a, ra- a railroad train, but except it's, doesn't, it's going to have its own wheels. It's an easy concept to come up with. But the hard concept was, once you get all those automobiles, what are they going to ride on? They're going to be riding on dirt roads or whatever. And they started building roads. So the more automobiles necessitated the building of more roads... It wasn't one year automobiles are invented and all of a sudden there's roads for highways. It took a long term. And the highway system in the United States didn't come back until the 1950s, really. There were highways, but they didn't, they weren't sea to shining sea. It was actually a Defense Appropriation Act that built the highway. So in case of military action, they can move forces from one coast to the other, you know, tanks and things like that up and down across this country. But rail, railroads were the primary form of transportation Then automobiles became. And then there's a tipping point when most people had access to automobiles or buses because buses, buses filled the gaps. And you think about these, it's much easier to build a road than a railroad. It's a lot of dirt roads. It's easy to build a dirt. It's, it's labor intensive, but it's, 
technically or engineering wise much easier to maintain a road you got potholes and things like that you got to fill and stuff like that but railroads got to be maintained you got you you, know, you got to train on the track it's going one's going east one's going west you got to have a bypass so one can pull over to let the other one out or continue through there with the journey not so with a railroad you just steer around the other vehicle i'm sure the first roads were small small roads and in cities, obviously, there were room for the big carriages and things like that to win. And they had the big tram cars that were even being pulled by. Tram cars were being pulled by horses. And then they introduced the electric. So the keys have changed. And I'm sure that changed the nature of the keys when you had railroads. And then when you had cars. Because when you had a railroad, you had Whatever stops they had here in the Keys, I'm sure they had to stop in Key Largo, maybe in Marathon, who knows, maybe in Tavernier. All the way down, Big Pine Key maybe, and then Key West. But now when, when the railroad disappeared, then you have the road, then you can stop anywhere. So then you had development across the whole Keys of restaurants, rest stops, gift shops. You know, people can, you know, that, that's that's just the way to develop. I'm sure it changed the nature of the keys. And originally when people lived here, the first people lived here, you had, as a matter, you had a lot of Cubans that lived down in Key West. Cubans have been here for a long time in the Florida Keys. They were here in the 1800s before the Cuban Revolution. In Tampa, too. And then you had uh, Native Americans. There were Native Americans down here. Not so much anymore, but because there were small groups. Not as much as the Seminoles up on the mainland. And then you had a smattering of white and African American. But now the nature, we have everyone down here. And... It just changed the kind of news. You had people, you had people that grew up, they were, it was in a hundred years ago, primarily fishing, almost all fishing. And some, especially with Key West, involved with um, shipping. Because that being the gateway to Caribbean and South America until the Port of Miami came about. Miami really wasn't established till 1913. And the ports probably took a little while after that. But when with the railroad was being built, I'm sure that quickened the building of Miami. So we're going to talk about a town that's a little over 109 years old, Miami. With Key West being much older than that. So we always talk here. It's very interesting when you have people living in the Keys and talk to people saying, I was born and raised here. Or I'm from New York. I'm from California. I'm from Wisconsin. I'm from Germany, from Spain, from Cuba. It's something that makes people uniquely Keysy or Keys resident. Changes just like different than you what you had the Hawaiian islands. Wine islands separated by thousands of miles from the U.S. mainland. We're separated by literally 15 miles from the mainland. 
from marshland. And then we're separated from each other. So the Keys weren't one. You think we're talking about the Florida Keys. Just because they're in line, they weren't always connected. Just like the Hawaiian Islands. There's one island here, one island there. It goes out. You can't really get to the other islands easily. Pre, uh, let's say pre-air travel. But the, the cultures of each of the islands were different when they were separated. But when they're connected, you get kind of a more homogenized culture for the Florida Keys. You have that, you know, we still have the fishing culture, but we also have the tourist culture. We have very little manufacturing here. We have, you know, maybe arts and crafts down here, maybe some clothing, food, uh, food comes about. You got Key Largo chocolates, you got Key Lime pies and all that stuff, even though you don't have a lot of Key Limes in the Keys anymore. There's no groves of Key Lime trees, but there are Key Lime trees. So with the nature of the keys changing and the people being here, the people originally being here, they're uh, where it's primarily originally fishing, boating, shipping. And then as more people, more and more people come, they had people to service them. You had the service industry. And then as more people came in when the service and the vacationers, you had the people that had to Service the service people and the fishermen. You had construction. And all the ancillary things that come with a larger population, whether it's, you know, uh, safety, health, uh, the clerical part is selling, financing. And we get more complex. It is interesting. There is some... Other manufacturer, a friend of mine, a rotary, took me. There was his, uh, his company made uh, degaussing machines. I don't know if they were degaussing, it was desoldering machines. Machines that would take components off of circuit boards. And he manufactured the keys. I'm not even exactly sure he did it, but he did it was an electronics manufacturing here in the Keys, which is a very unique place to do that, if you think about it. If you're thinking about how, how you have a limited access to labor, even more so now because of the cost of living down here, and I'm sure that changed the nature of the Keys, right? Because originally you could live down here very inexpensively. If you were, let's say you're a fisherman because you're getting some of your, uh, obviously you're getting some of your food from your job. And then you're selling your wares either locally or to be exported to the mainland or other parts of the, the country. And you can live here quite, quite easily. Even though when I say easily, I don't mean the day to day. Because there was a lot of things that they didn't have sewer service, they didn't have water service, sometimes electrical service. Or think about the highway. You had to think, jump on a train. That's not necessarily public transportation, even though I imagine it was much affordable. Affordable if you had to run up um, 
some place if you live down in Key West and you say, well, listen, I'm originally from New York. I want to go visit my family. And then you have a two-day trip, I guess, heading up on the train. So the keys are defined by its geography, pretty much, and the, the people that come here. A lot of times I like to talk to people about how there is not a defining, you don't hear a very distinct, some of these people that grew up in the Keys and, and the, let's say more swamp-like areas of Florida have a, a characteristic Southern accent. But then you have people, some people growing in the Keys that don't have a really heavy accent at all. Miami comparatively to the mid-Atlantic states. And I think it is that influx of people from different parts of the United States, a higher concentration population that would send, you know, originally there were a lot of people from New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Virginia. And they come down and congregate down here, move down here, stay down here, and they change the nature of the accent. Just like in different parts of the United States, Louisiana, had a Cajun accent, which was heavily influenced by French expatriates that came here. And the, the language is sundered for almost 200 years. So, so we're going to be talking a lot about that on conch chowder. Chowder. I keep on saying conch chowder. And it's conch chatter. So this is going to be interesting, to say the least me trying just say the name of Joe. And I'm going to be looking for a little more finesse on how I approach it with having people on this show because it, you can't have chatter with just me being a chatterbox. You have to have other people. Also, my one idea I want to introduce today, and I know it could be kind of controversial because there used to be a show on television called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. And where these uh, uh, gay men would come in and restyle a guy, which I don't really understand if you're having gay men restyle you for women. shouldn't be women restyling you if you're trying to, unless you're trying to make a straight guy more attractive to gay men. Unless you're saying gay men and women have the same taste. I, I don't see that. I think you have to really present that. But if that premise is correct, that gay men are more able to restyle a straight man to make him more attractive to women, then why wouldn't the almost direct adverse one would be called straight eye for the queer gal? You get it? Straight eye for the queer gal. Meaning, we have straight guys come in who are classic straight. Not, we're not talking the stereotypical, but classic, classic style straight men that have comfortable relationships with women come in and they restyle a lesbian woman to be more attractive to other women. Because of the, you know, here, here are the clothes that should accentuate what you're trying to do. 
you know, you're saying you may not need the chain on your wallet. I'm not trying to be stereotypical about it. I'm talking about going in against one of the more butchy lesbians that are trying to emulate some of, let's say, more stereotypical working class images of men. You know, not, I'm talking about, so you're going to have guys that are more metro in that outlook. Restyle is when we say, listen, this is the kind of hair. Kind of like an Ellen Page kind of look. Even though she's transgendered. I know that. I know the difference. And I imagine the show would be a little more difficult to come up with because there is such a myriad of it right now. People don't like that. There was a discussion about how early children should be allowed to transition considering people don't really know their orientation until many times until their 20s or 30s and you know cases they come out years later but that's mainly because they're suppressed and things like that but you mean maybe should before you change anything and make a mistake maybe you should wait a little i'm talking from the moderate point of view the moderate point of view is being accepting of these lifestyles, but not be promoting any particular lifestyle until the person's ready. Say, hey, listen, if you you know, this is the way it's going to be. Just go middle of the road, middle of the road, take it easy, take it easy, take it easy, take it easy on almost everything. Moderation. Take it from a guy who was an alcoholic that never did moderation. I never saw a bottle of bourbon say, I'm going to keep that around for a week. <laughs> no. I say, sucker's going to be gone by the end of the night. And then you start getting worried. I say, how, how quickly did I go through that bottle? I really, really wouldn't really contemplate higher thoughts at the end of my binge drinking and stuff like that. But uh, I, and I'm not equating lifestyles or sexuality as a disorder. Okay, alcoholism is a, is a, I, I guess an illness disorder and things like that. Me being a member of that tribe, but I didn't find out till later. What I'm trying to do is say you don't really get in touch with who you really are until you're older. You know, you don't know. You don't even really know what you like. Like I know some. I have. A, I had a friend, a very close friend, who only liked redheads, redheaded females. And I said to him, I said, you got a whole world of women out there. Different characteristics. There's African-American, there's Asian-American, there's uh, Latino and white and all that stuff. And you're settling for, and I love, yes, all types. And I said, why would you define yourself? I know what I like and my, you know what? I didn't really have a type. I just had a type of woman I liked. When I say type, I meant their character, the character, the way they behaved. So it took me to, gosh, to my 40s to really realize what I like until I stopped drinking what I was looking for. So like that idea of me coming up with straight eye for the queer gal was not very well thought of, that concept. I knew 
from the years of experience. It took me a while to figure things out. You know, it's a process nowadays. I'm almost 60 years old. It's a process. Learn, uh, there's a learning curve. And I'm always figuring things out, trying to figure things out. I don't know if I necessarily, necessarily get there. But I do understand that uh, things are never complete. Our understandings are will never be complete. We can just hope to be more informed. More informed on things like I'm talking about my show. I'm saying I know I have an idea for what this show is going to be, but it's only in the action and experience of doing something that I'm going to learn what it actually is. And that's the way life is. And the way keys are and stuff like that. And we, I, I'm going to try to get to the essence of what this is. Knowing that you may never get there. It's a journey that goes on forever. I know it's kind of nebulous, the whole show today, but this is just the way I like to do things. Uh, thank you for listening. I know it's a little different uh, right now that we're doing. I'm, I'm doing my shows, still doing them on Spreaker, but I'm uploading them to uh, the Anchor. So they appear on Anchor. I think they also still appear on Spreaker. Hope so. I got the redirect feed there. So let's see what happens. Okay, thank you very much. And I will be back tomorrow. Bye.